0: Welcome to episode one of A Blank Canvas. I am so excited to share this first episode with you. I've been wanting to do a podcast for so many, so many years now, and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do it. So here we are, episode one. In this episode, I have a good conversation, a good chat with Steve Pycroft. Now, Steve is, is a very, very interesting man. Let me explain why. So Steve is the following. He's a musician, filmmaker, conductor, writer, videographer, drummer, manager, businessman, composer, producer, musical director, music consultant, and himself a podcast host. Honestly, this conversation is so much fun to listen to. Enjoy episode one of A Blank Canvas with Steve Pycroft. Welcome
1: to A Blank Canvas with Cameron Ross.
0: Right, so Steve, I want to start by, I've, <laughs> I found a comment on the YouTube channel Free the Kaleidoscope Orchestra, or Riot Jazz, but the comment was from a guy called Alan Smith, and this guy is a real person. It's not a made-up name I found here. And his comment read, You are all, you are all amazing. Steve is a genius. <laughs> now, how, how, this? I'm not joking. This is a genuine comment in, the, in, in a video. I think it was, um, it might have been the, kaleidoscope orchestra uh youtube but well i'm not sure what video i can't quite remember but i mean what a comment <laughs> i
1: know man like it's it's funny it's youtube comments are a kind of i don't know it's what almost what we live for now you know you upload something onto youtube and you hope that people like it and most of the time it's it's really complimentary comment and like people like what we're doing or like what i'm doing or whatever and Sometimes there's things that are just really horrible, but like that guy, I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned him because he's, uh, he's actually been in touch with us. He's emailed us. He's like, we've got kind of a, I guess, a kind of online relationship with that guy. Um, oh, that's cool. But it started with, with those comments. You know, we were like, oh, that's nice. That's cool. And you, you can't, it's, it's kind of easy to think like, the the comment isn't a person you know like you just read a comment it's a bit like likes so you're just like
0: oh no 100 percent. i know what you mean yeah
1: is is that you don't think of that person so then when i think we must have just replied to him you know like everybody we, we kind of went through a phase of being like let's let's reply and and just kind of try and interact because it you know it's it's easy to think these people are watching you but you don't have a connection with them and so he was one of the guys who just yeah he got back to us and and uh yeah, consistently, kind of messages as thanking us for what we do, and it, you know, it's one of the big reasons why we do what we do.
0: Well, let's I mean, let's 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 talk about what you do. What you do? Okay, so I've made, um I went. Uh, we've got to meet your friend called Liam Banks Car. Yeah. So big up Liam. We, me and Liam were speaking, and was like, right, Steve does fucking loads. So where where do we begin, right? So <laughs> <clears throat> let me clear my throat for this one. So. Musician, filmmaker, conductor, writer, videographer, drummer, manager, businessman, composer, producer, musical director, musical consultant, and podcast host. Is that right?
1: Uh yeah, that, that sounds good to
0: <laughs> me. <laughs> I mean I mean the thing is as well, you don't you don't like do things half arse when you do something, you do it, you do it properly and well. How yeah. have you got so much time to do all of this? Um
1: That's a good question. I, I mean you
0: literally do so much.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's like a th- there must be an underlying sense of of not wanting to end up doing something that I don't want to do. Like I I don't know, like I feel like I'm driven by the idea that I can like that the idea of working for yourself and that can take many forms, you know, like I th- I think in in this day and age um you can't necessarily do one thing as a freelancer, and it be your sole kind of thing that you do. You know, I'm not not necessarily talking about income and stuff, but it's. I, I feel like I had to div- diversify early on. Um,
0: do you think a lot of them have like an overlap and um, the kind of? Because I think as being a, being a creative in quotation marks, even though the government don't like that term at the moment, <laughs> we'll get onto that later. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you do you feel a lot of them do a lot of what you do has an overlap I mean obviously it's it's all it is like I said everything falls under, falls under the creative bracket so yeah they think, kind of like scratch each other's back essentially
1: Absolutely I think it's it's actually yeah it's actually those skills that I suppose I I kind of developed as a kid you know I I used to just kind of sit on a laptop and remix like I don't know Mozart and and shit like that, oh, wow. which is okay. which is probably how I led, what what led to Kaleidoscope Orchestra because yeah. that crossover thing and and my dad had a camera, so I used to just kind of film stuff and and like just play around with these things. So I think yeah, I think you're right. I think they're all linked um, in the creative realm. You know, whether I'm filming something or, or writing music, it's all it is all related. And I think something like Riot Jazz and Kaleidoscope is like a culmination of all those things that I that I enjoy doing at the end of the day like that's that's basically it I've, I've read a lot of these kind of books that say you know do what you love and it's like yeah that's all good and well but how do you earn a living and it's like well <laughs> do those do those things all the time and that's what I've done over the last few years is just fill my time with all those creative things and and sometimes it leads to other things like sometimes someone will say oh can you do this and I'm like yeah why not and and I don't know it just kind of grows from there but, I feel you know, like
0: with, I, with with creativity I feel like there's such instant gratification with your work even even when you're making something whether it's music or video in your case writing a piece or something I think I think it's just it, just the the as a creative individual the the chemicals released in your brain it's just like whoa this is amazing isn't it
1: absolutely it's, it's definitely an addiction I, I think i um like even if I go away like I, you know if I go on holiday or whatever it's not that long before I kind of almost missed that, that creative drug in a way, like I need to get back to it. I need, I need that kind of injection of, um, yeah, it's like a, a kind of self, uh, self-created drug. Yeah. Like you sit down and like write that. a piece of music or you, I mean, it's a bit like performing. I mean, you'll, you'll be the same with, with DJing. Like, I think when you, when you're there, there's nothing like it. And so you like almost like, right, I need to replicate that as
0: often and as much as I can. <laughs> no, definitely 100%. 100% and I mean, you know, we will we'll talk about um uh, your your like appearances at a variety of different festivals and stuff, but I wanted to just to quickly touch base on I I did a quick uh, stalk of your Facebook to find out some some information about <laughs> you. So you're you're from Rotherham, uh, yeah. which is which I find awesome because Northerners rule. I'm from Doncaster myself. Ah, oh, nice. Um, yeah. So, how? how so you, you mentioned that your dad had a video camera, and you were uh, how young were you when, when you were starting to like edit uh, classical pieces? Was this in your teen? Like, I'm, I'm assuming your teens, right? Before university?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I was probably about thirteen, fourteen, or something when I got my first laptop, and I remember. I remember vividly being in the, I don't know, PC world or something. And uh, they were, I think they were, my, my parents were buying my sister a laptop for, for maybe it was for uni. So maybe I was more like 15 or 16. And I was like, you know, I, I could use you as a laptop. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I was kind of nerding out over these film composers. Like I'd watch kind of, you know, like the uh, extra special features on DVDs. And I'd be looking at people like Hans Zimmer sat in his studio and thinking, yeah, I could do that, and so eventually, <laughs> I got I, I got a laptop, and I'm so grateful that they they took the kind of. It's a bit like with with drumming because I started off, not to digress, but I started off playing clarinet when I was eight or nine. And so is,
0: is is your entire family a musical family, or did you did a parent of yours or a grandparent say, "Why don't you try this," or did you see a clarinet and go, "I want to play this"?
1: No, it was my mum. So my mum's musical. Um, uh, she's. She's like run choirs and uh, she's a pianist. And so she encouraged me to learn an instrument and it happened to be clarinet um, because she'd, I think she, yeah, she must've played clarinet when she was younger. So I started on that. And then through that kind of, I kept watching the drummer in the, in the, I don't know, it was like a wind band, you know, like a a kid's wind band and then started playing on boxes and pots and pans and stuff. And then my my parents took a kind of gamble and bought me a, a drum kit. And that's where that started and it's the same with the laptop and then so yeah when i was 15 ish fifteen, i started just i got some like cheap software and just yeah i would take anything like mozart piano concerto and i'd just make it like a you know like ding ding you know like just complete cheese fest like i would never want anyone to hear that but it it was early yeah it was at, at the same time that i was i was going to band rehearsals and stuff like that so i had a lot of kind of music going around I was, I was kind of living that music kind of lifestyle and it, it just, yeah, I just, I would just sit there and noodle away on a
0: laptop. And, um, I mean, that's basically what I do now as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then from there you went to university or yeah. did you, yeah, I'm yeah. guessing you studied music along those fields.
1: Yeah. I went to Manchester university, studied music. So it was a classical degree. Um, and, and uh, yeah, when I went, I, I was all ready to be a performer and um i applied for the joint course so there's like a joint course between royal northern college of music and manchester uni but i didn't get on that and so i ended up on the university degree um which is where i kind of fell in love with writing music and composition and that was when yeah i suppose i i didn't lose that performing um ambition but I, i realized there was so much more and that actually that kind of time i'd spent remixing on my laptop, wasn't something to kind of take take for granted. Like, it was a valid thing. And when I learned more about, um, you know, composition and especially remixing and stuff like that, I felt like, yeah, I'd spent time doing something that I never really fully understood. I thought it was just me dicking about on a laptop.
0: So, I mean, essentially, you dicking about on a laptop has uh, created some pretty magical moments yeah. um, on your YouTube channel for kaleidoscope you've got millions of views yeah and you, you you've you've it's just honestly i was i showed my mom um uh, some of the videos you were doing and she was like what i didn't even know this was a thing and i was like i know it's just it's just it's just amazing so on your kaleidoscope you've got 71,000 subscribers you've got 28,000 facebook likes it's 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 a hidden gem. I'd, I'd I would describe Kaleidoscope Orchestra as a hidden gem. The people that find Kaleidoscope Orchestra fall in love instantly with it. It's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's great. This is what I love is when people like your mum say I didn't know this was a thing because I think I mean the whole goal with it is to um, introduce orchestras to new audiences. Basically, I mean, we played at Creamfields a couple of years ago and and I'd never expected to see or well my plan was this but I'd never expected to see that festival crowd you know like people who've been up for three days watching violins and flutes and stuff and having a great time again it was like I didn't know this was a thing but I like it because it's it's music that people can relate to it's kind of more popular music but it's in an orchestral way and I think that's that's what my whole goal has been is like surprising people that the orchestras aren't you know what what you they're not like the traditional thing where they're just playing yeah mozart and beethoven
0: <laughs> i mean i i was watching the video i've seen it quite a few times to be fair and there was a there was a moment in it where there was a guy with his friend they looked like as you would said they had been up for three days straight <laughs> um and the, the, their eyes were just in another in another place but you, you it, funny enough it looked like they were they were about to start crying it was it yeah. was such when when you were when you were doing the Avicii tribute yeah. um, it's like you could just see people like the, their faces just kind of dropped in, in in shock they weren't expecting something to be so amazing because obviously like like you said people who are young that creamfields are there to see you know big DJs tiesto all pre-recorded music in a studio um, and then you come on with how many how many years are, uh, have you in kaleidoscope orchestra uh,
1: it varies, but I think for the creamfield show, it was, I think there were 25 of us, but normally there's about 40, 50 of us.
0: I mean, that that is in itself, people see that many people on stage and are like, what the fuck is this going to be? This looks <laughs> interesting. Exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Because rather than just one, you know, rather than just one, one human stood behind CDJs and a mixer, which I'm not criticising by any means because I'm a DJ myself and it's got a lot of fun, <laughs> but it's obviously, it goes against the grain to see... Um, you know, a, 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 a an orchestra at yeah. a, a electronic music festival.
1: Yeah, I th- I think seeing an orchestra. I mean, I've been to I've been to orchestra gigs, or I've I've kind of had friend my non musical friends have come with me to orchestra gigs, and you know, I, I I find it hard to separate myself from the from the musician that is me. You know, so sometimes when I sit there with an orchestra, I'm like, yeah, this is this is my familiar environment but sitting there with a non-musical friend and seeing their kind of reaction to it's it's almost like a reaction to the music that's coming out but then also the fact that there's that many people on stage creating this sound together and I think that combined with the fact that we were paying tribute to Avicii at Creamfields was quite a profound thing and I you know I was so grateful to the guys at Creamfields for taking a risk because it was a risk for them because it was like you know, not only is it, is it a, a different kind of look, but also y- y- you're trusting that a crowd is going to be able to understand hearing something that's not compressed, perfectly produced sound that a DJ will play. And for them to do that and for then the audience to actually respond was just like doubly kind of um, rewarding for us, but also kind of profound in, in, a, in a kind of, I don't know, like it's never been done before.
0: Was it a euphoric feeling for you seeing seeing the reaction when... Because when, when you walked out on stage, did you feel a certain way of, hmm, I'm not sure how this is going to go down?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I knew that there was probably 70% of the people out there were probably like, all right, what the fuck's this going to be then? And like 30% were probably like, ah, oh, this is cool. And like I do think that is... the I don't think it's 50-50 with an orchestra. I think some people automatically think, oh, this is going to be some pretentious, like, um, you know, thing that, that, that doesn't speak to me. And so I like that. I kind of like going out being like, right, because it makes me want to surprise them in a good, you know, it makes me want to do better because I want to I want to show them in, in the most epic way that they do like this and that they that it is something that they can relate to.
0: And it must feel good because you're, you're essentially winning what is a losing battle. You, mm. you 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 know like you said people have this pretense of okay an orchestra hmm not sure what this is going to be like you come out start playing Avicii or Pendulum or mm. just the long array of the long list of the the the, the this is okay so this is this is the thing it's like you said yourself you you've you've so do you, do you, do you write these pieces yourself from the music or do you work with other people because the whole the whole thing is just it's so unique and it's just fucking cool, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so I write the arrangements. And again, this is what I, going back to my university time, I, it, so it's a classical degree. So, I'm studying classical music. There's orchestration classes, things like that. And then I, I ended up doing a master's in composition. So, a, a fourth year of focused, yeah, studying in orchestration. And that was what really informed um, what I do for Kaleidoscope. So it's, yeah, I'll sit, my kind of process is I'll sit here and listen to Avicii. So I'll, I'll kind of start with something like Spotify, listen to, listen to the tracks I like by Avicii, listen to the tracks that are popular and make a kind of playlist and then get to know those tunes. So I'll listen to them, you know, when I'm in the car or at the gym or whatever. And then I'll sit down and just transcribe the melodies and so like you know something like wake me up i'll write down those melodies um and then i'll do that for all the, the tracks and then start to just harmonize and then start to kind of orchestrate and it's i don't know it's like i i, I get... that
0: sounds like a very very long process How, how long how long would a typical let's say wake me up how long would that take start to finish
1: i mean it's difficult because if you said to me right tomorrow we're going to record it get it done i I could get it done today but i think with something like you know like writing music or creating you you almost have to have the space so that the stuff comes out i think i think there's two two levels of of what what i do with with arranging and writing music one is like the workman i know what to do i've got the skills just sit down and do it and then there's the kind of creative in me where you know like with the Avicii thing, that, there was no deadline with that. That was just me saying, right, I think we should do this thing. So I probably, for that Avicii tribute piece, like it's about six or seven minutes long, I would say on and off that took me a couple of weeks, like sitting down, doing a bit, going away, coming back. It's, I, I have to do it in, in chunks, otherwise I very... You must enjoy very... the
0: process as well. You must, en- you, must, must, you must enjoy every moment and not want to rush it.
1: I do, and I don't like. Sometimes I sit there and I just don't think I can. Like each piece I've written for Kaleidoscope, I always think this one, this is going to be the one that doesn't work. Like I'm always like, this is the one where the magic is going to stop flowing, and I'm not not going to be able to do it. And so I surround myself with like I've got um, you know, the film composer John Williams.
0: Yeah. So
1: I so like I've got all of his. He's got these signature edition scores, so you can actually look at the sheet music of like. Jurassic Park and Harry Potter and all that stuff. So I have these kind of things around me so I can look at them and steal ideas and like look at orchestration techniques and stuff like that. But it it's such a kind of messy process that I that I do love it, but I also struggle with it at times. And I think that's every creative. It's always like a battle, isn't it? And that's why again we're addicted to it because you know that you can produce things, but it's getting through that journey of kind of self-doubt and 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 also with Kaleidoscope, I've often had that kind of almost imposter syndrome of like, who are you to like take this person's music and reinvent it? But I think it's it's the ultimate form of like flattery to to take someone else's music and go, here you go, look what I've done. And that's been that's been one of the best responses is getting the original artist kind of feedback. You know, like people like Diplo who have tweeted about the Major Laser One and I was stuff about like that. To, you know, you've
0: it's... you've you've made my job easier. Not I was to name to say... drop. <laughs> Yeah. You know, well, no, because I was going to ask. You've you, well, you've had so many uh, of these artists, um, uh, the big names, like you said, Diplo, who have actually heard what you've done. Uh, did Did Calvin Harris as well see something?
1: Yeah, so he um, he like shared it on his Instagram story because we did, uh, we've done a few of his tunes, but we did Promises, the one with the, the tune with Sam Smith, and I think. Yeah, he. Uh, I woke up one morning, and one of my mates was like, "Holy shit!" And I was like, "What?" And he sent me a screenshot of Calvin Harris's story, and he'd like put "Wow" um, and a clip of 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 our version of Promises. And then Sam Smith had kind of reshared that thing, and it was like, "Oh, fucking hell, that's kind of big."
0: That—that's. Uh, I mean, that—that that, that, you know, obviously, you're not you're not out to get the recognition from the artists themselves. I'm assuming you're out to make people really fucking happy because what you do does make people happy. But yeah. I, there, must be, there must be a certain level of the original artist who is absolutely massive, has heard what we've done and, and likes it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that, it's kind of a weird thing because I, I was chatting to my mate the other day about this. It's almost like you're fanboying as well as being like a, a valid kind of creative peer of someone like, calvin harris i mean it's it's weird to think but we're all we're all like you know you could you could stand there and be like hey calvin i uh, i'm djing after you uh how you doing like we're all on a level with these people it's just because of fame and and the kind of you know the way that media works these people are like this kind of elevated godlike person and so for me it's like like because i met diplo at creamfields that was kind of one of those where the stars align thing where we'd done the Major Laser thing, and I knew that Major Laser were playing at Creamfields. Um, they were on the same stages as later on. So I took a copy of the score and, and gave it to his publicist or whatever. Well, like, you know, like, agent or whatever. And she was like, Yeah, I'll pass it on. And I was like, Ah, but I really want to just meet him. So then he was doing a DJ set later on on the, I think they had like a, a takeover. Um, what's his label called? Radio.
0: Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Mad decent. Like, mad decent,
1: yeah. Yeah, Dylan Francis and all these people were playing. And, um, and so I, I was like, I, me and Caitlin, my missus, like, we were like, let's just go and like, we've got these backstage wristbands. Let's use them. So we ended up stood behind Diplo while he's DJing. And, and I was like, there's no one here stopping us, just chatting to him. So when he finished his set, he just came off on his own, walked by, and I was like, oh, hey, man, I, um, I'm the guy who gave you agent or whatever that uh, score. And he was like, oh, wicked wicked man, yeah, like, like, I love the, I love the thing, and like, I can't read music, but, like, it's sick, and I was like, okay, cool, <laughs> and, like, there's an element, there's an element where you're like, I am a total fanboy here, like, almost like, can I get your autograph, but at the same time, I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm that guy who runs that thing, we could work together, and I think that's the ultimate goal, is, is getting the attention of these people, uh, especially electronic music, because, you know, it is so far removed, like, an orchestra is so far removed from this electronic music world that it's like let's bring the worlds together and someone like calvin harris or diplo or skrillex like for them to to do what we did at Creamfields or like the cream classical shows if they were to take a risk and to do a show with an orchestra i think that would be incredible and i think it would bring so much value to their fans
0: and our oh, fans absolutely and, you know i
1: mean not not to blow smoke up my own ass but like i feel <laughs> like they they need to work with us
0: <laughs> well, no, I, I I, honestly, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's a, a concept I've always friends of mine who are guitarists, uh, drummers, I've always said to them, how cool would it be for a DJ, a drummer and guitarist to become a three piece? I mean, what an exciting idea. So imagine the scale of Kaleidoscope Orchestra with Calvin Harris. I mean, the closest we've got to compare and I don't like to compare, but a few years ago I was DJing at V festival. And mm-hmm. I saw Pete Tong's um, heri- Is it the Heritage Orchestra he works yeah. with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's you know obviously he's 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 uh, Pete Tong is Pete Tong, and he's got his own uh, world, etc. But that was it, just the again, it's the it's the um, that feeling of being completely unaware of what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think that yeah, like you said, that, that is that is that like a, an aim? Do you think that's to think that's something that could really happen for a Kaleidoscope Orchestra?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's my goal, and it's it's kind of it's difficult. I mean, we we have these kind of peaks of like, you feel like it's it. I don't know, not not it's going to happen, but like the um, so last year, I did a version of uh, Skrillex tune that was on a game called Kingdom Hearts Three. There's a tune called Face My Fears, and I I did it, but I, I instead of us just putting it on YouTube, I wanted to try and approach um, his like PR team and stuff beforehand and it led to eventually led to Sony releasing it which was which was great but I was like this is cool but my ultimate goal is can we take this further to the next level and and do a live show and so I was chatting with this guy at um at Sony Sony Masterworks is the label and he was like I think this is a, a great idea I think the difficulty is finding the the cream fields of the world who are willing to because obviously with this many people there's a lot of people need paying. It's an expensive thing. Whereas when you've just got one person DJing, the overheads are a lot less. And I think it's, it's convincing people, con- convincing the right people that it's worth having 40 people on stage to produce this thing. And people like Pete Tong are showing that that is a viable thing, you know, like doing his Ibiza prom and stuff like that. That's the ultimate kind of of what we're doing, which is bridging the gap again. It's, you know, a classical, the proms, the BBC proms is a classical kind of music event. And they're to put on something like Pete Tong's Ibiza thing is, is incredible. And, um, yeah, that's what we want to do. And it's, it's kind of finding those ways of showing what's possible. Um, yeah, so, so we are, I mean, I'm constantly trying to get email addresses for, for the right people, you know, get in touch with I got in touch with Lady Gaga's manager because we did a Lady Gaga thing. And it's, again, it's like, it's almost like, how do you convince this person? So I said, here's this video. And he was like, looks great. And I was like, yeah, but no, but the next thing, what can we do (laughs) together? Like, I don't want you to tell me it's great. Like, and so it's, I don't know, that's my constant kind of thing is like, who, which artist is going to...
0: You know what, how I look at it is whatever artist gets to this first is going to, is going to see a whole new wave of, of fans. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's it, it's. I feel like you're sitting on something and nobody wants to buy it right now for you, but mm. the moment someone does, it's just going to be, it's just going to be ridiculous. I mean, it, it, honestly, it's just that everything about Kaleidoscope Orchestra and the sort of ethos you have of, of you know, you're not, you're not going for uh deep classical or anything like, you know, far afield, left field. you're going for Diplo, Pendulum, Calvin Harris, Lady Gaga, as you've said, there's just, there's just, just so much you're, you're doing. How, how did this even come about in the first place? How, how did, yeah, how did this happen?
1: It came about because, so I, while I was at uni, I was going to like dubstep nights. Dubstep was kind of big when I was doing my master's. So, so this is like two thousand 2009
0: yeah yeah, 2009. are we talking and like magnetic like magnetic man like or like scream dubstep or: Yeah
1: yeah 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 so I, I in fact I remember seeing <laughs> magnetic Man I saw at, um park life when it because I so I used to live on Wilmslow Road opposite Platfields Park and when park life was there oh
0: uh, of course
1: I, I, yeah I mean we, we played there with riot jazz because we'd, we'd got in with the guys who there was a park life was called Mad Ferret first and then it, it became I did
0: not know that. I did not know life.
1: that. <laughs> and we we were kind of on on board the the first one of those and so it kind of yeah. Anyway, so yeah we saw I, I saw Magnetic Man and um it was like when Chase and Status released that blind faith track which is like a big dubstepy kind of anthem thing and yeah Scream and Banger I used to see those guys. But the main main guy who kind of influenced me with was um do you know Rich Reason, DJ? I do, yeah. yeah. Right. So I got to know him through his his night hit and run. And so I used to go pretty much every Monday to hit and run and I'd see like, you know, the local kind of DJs like uh and also when when other other kind of I'm trying to think now who who I saw that was kind of really influential, it'll come to me. But anyway, I used to go to those nights and I think the the kind of contrast of that and my classical masters in composition kind of sparked this idea of bringing those worlds together i was it was always cool when i would like take someone you know like on the classical degree to a hit and run night and they were like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> and then i'd also like introduce so like me and rich reason used to sit down and uh write tracks together and and again it was like taking my kind of orchestral classical kind of background and his knowledge of well, his extensive knowledge of kind of electronic music and we would create these tracks together. And um, he showed me a, a video of a Jay Dilla orchestra thing that a guy called Miguel Atwood Ferguson did. And it was a live orchestra with, you know, with drums and shit doing Jay Dilla tracks. And I was like, that is, that's it. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and so a friend of mine at uni guy called dave he wanted to he was always talking about setting up an orchestra that played outside the traditional locations so not not concert halls and stuff like that an orchestra that plays in warehouses and clubs and stuff like that and so i think his goals and my goal of like doing this kind of j diller thing but with dubstep um formed kaleidoscope and so we got together in i think this must be 2011 yeah, we got together, we just got a load of musician friends from uni, and I'd been writing this Skrillex uh, suite, and we just got together and recorded it, and it was like a bit of a trial, like the video's still on our YouTube, it's it's a bit scrappy and kind of, you know, we've come a long way since then, but it was like, it was definitely the inception of the whole thing, it was like, do I say ince- No, conception of the idea was like, oh yeah, this is a thing, because, um... Yeah, so I, I would say it was the Jay Diller video, Rich Reason, and just my
0: kind of, yeah,
1: going to dubstep nights and then sitting in orchestration lessons.
0: And, and alongside that, was Riot Jazz a thing? Was that later on? How, how, did, how did Riot Jazz come to be as well?
1: Yeah, so actually, yeah, that was the same time. So 2000 and, 2008 was the first Riot Jazz event, and it was a friend of mine, Nick Walters, who I was studying music with, uh, he's one of the trumpet players in riot jazz. And he just one day said, oh, do you want to play drums in this um, New Orleans-y type thing? We're doing a, a, a night. And he knew these two medics, guys called Tom and Axel, who were, yeah, they're, they're doctors now. And they wanted to set up a night that was like a New Orleans kind of live music event. And so they got together with Rich Rees. to. I don't know if he helped with the first night, but we put on a an event at The Attic. I don't know if that's still a venue. It's like in the the train bridge on Oxford Road, by the um, by Vodka Revs. It's like upstairs in. I can't remember now.
0: Anyway, what is is it is it the one that's? Um, oh, it's it's not there anymore. But I can't remember what it's. I think it's been renamed to something else. But yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, I
1: I always whenever I was in there, I'd always think, how is this bass music? In a railway bridge, like why isn't the bridge just collapsed? And maybe that's why it's <laughs> not there anymore. But, um, but like yeah, so they put on this event, and it was just a one-off gig. Um, but then off the back of that, we did a, I think another one, and then that was the year that Mad Ferret um, came about, two thousand and
0: eight. What is now known as Park Life.
1: What is now known as Park Life, and so yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was exactly the same time. It was I was kind of almost in this like. Two way educational uh, world. I was doing the the degree, the the kind of masters lectures and all that shit, and then also through Riot Jazz, experiencing all these other things. And I think that's those two worlds colliding is what drives Riot Jazz and and Kaleidoscope.
0: So with with you being involved with two pretty prominent and very very unique uh, parts of like the musical world. You must have experienced some pretty incredible shows. Obviously, we've mentioned Creamfields uh, with Kaleidoscope Orchestra, but g- generally speaking, you've travelled a lot, uh, yeah, and do tra- and do travel a lot. What's what's some of the without being massively cliche? I'm I'm really curious to what some of the uh, highlights in terms of shows have been because I've got some myself with DJing, and I always find it interesting to see uh, what what other people have experienced. Yeah,
1: I mean, right, jazz as. Yeah, Riot Jazz is one of those bands that um, fits kind of any bill, really. Like, we've, you know, we can play at three in the morning or we can play at three in the afternoon, you know, to a family audience. And I think that's, that's really kind of paid off in a way because, um, yeah, we're fortunate to have been all over the place. I mean, it started in 2009 with us playing Soundwave in Croatia, which kind of... Uh, well, we ended up playing there every year apart from one, I think. And so every year it was like we went out to Croatia to play Soundwave. That was really special. Um, Like quite a small festival, but we felt like we're part of the family, you know, like every How year. How many was,
0: Is there a you in Riot Jazz? There's
1: nine of us. So nine of you. Yeah, three trumpets, three trombones, a sousaphone, me and um, Junkie, MC. And so like, yeah, so Croatia and then we've, we did a festival in Russia, in Moscow, a couple of years ago. Right, was...
0: so we've got, to, we've got to touch base on this then. <laughs> you, you, did, you did a festival, right, okay, so how, how does this come about to do a festival in Russia?
1: Uh, again, I guess some of our music has that kind of Balkan, russian I don't know, like um, you know the Tetris theme. They're like, I don't know, I I've, I can't remember how, but this this girl this this girl Galina got in touch and she was like, we do a um, I think it's a brass music festival over there, and she was like, we want to get riot jazz, and she she got us over there through like the humanitarian visa thing because obviously going to Rus- right. you can't really go to Russia without getting a visa and stuff, and her whole thing was you know. So, um, cultural connections and stuff like that and getting someone from the UK and, and whatever else. And so she got in touch with our our manager at the time and, and he was like, you know, do you want to go over to Moscow? And we were like, yes. (laughs) Um, and so, I mean, it was really down. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was bonkers. And I, and I feel like, I feel like we were protected over there. I mean, it was, it was almost like a weird I don't know, like, so we we got there and she met us and she was, like, our kind of liaison the whole time and she would walk around the place, like, city, you know, we went to see, like, Red Square and um, what's it called? The, the the main building in Moscow, like, the government building and all that shit. And we were kind of like, I mean, a band like Riot Jazz is a bit of a liability wherever we go. And so <laughs> she was kind of making sure we weren't... But, like, we were there in the middle of, like, we. Were, I've got a video, in fact, I watched it yesterday, found it. There's a video of us at like 6am just playing in this like residential area outside, like blasting out. And it's like, how the hell did we get away with that? And I think she was like making sure, I don't know, like we almost felt like we were like untouchable, you know, like they can't touch us because we're on our humanitarian visas that cost like 200 (laughs) quid each or whatever. But it was incredible. The show itself was like an afternoon concert on this floating stage. I mean, it didn't move, but it was on, on a lake um and it was a sit-down audience it was like quite respectable compared to the rest of the trip but like it was awesome like we went down yeah great and like the audience wanted to come and chat to us and like i think that's that's a that's one of the things i've loved about right jazz is that that we get to connect with the audience like the show is very kind of intimate and um interactive but also afterwards people you get to meet some really cool people and uh you know, as well as Russia, we've played in, like, France, Italy, Andorra, Finland and stuff. And, like, I, I'm so grateful that we've got to, to travel and, like, just to kind of experience these different places.
0: Do you ever, think, do you ever have, like, a, a moment where you're just sort of, let's say you're in Finland or Andorra, do you ever have a moment where you're just looking out the window of a taxi or a hotel room and you just sort of think, wow, what the fuck, like, I'm here because of music,
1: yeah, all the time. I mean, it's, yeah, like, it's kind of, even the even the shit ones, I mean, you know, it, it's easy to think it's just this glamorous lifestyle, but I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, up at five, no, not up at five, flying at five, get to a place, check into a hotel, have two hours, do the sound check, do the gig, go to, well, not go to bed, and then get up at four the next day or, or stay up and go back home. And it's like, it's brutal, but I always, yeah, we're always kind of like, this is pretty we're pretty lucky and, and it's pretty amazing to be able to go to these places to do what we love to do and i think that's that's one of the big things for for me mu- like the one of the big reasons i continue to do it is the, the kind of ability to travel around and do it as well
0: and on, on the flip side of that because a lot of people obviously have the impression that being a musician or a dj or whatever is just such a glamorous lifestyle mm. is there any been a of- I'm assuming there's been quite a few times, because I think there generally is, as a musician or whatever, along those lines, what have been the times where you've been thinking, fuck, this is really horrible, this is a horrible situation, you know, you've got to a place and there isn't a hotel booked for you, or there's all these different horror stories.
1: So it was 2012.
0: See, everybody, everybody has one, everybody.
1: (laughs) I mean, there's been quite a lot, I mean, there's been... There's been occasions with Riot Jazz where, you know, it's just complete anarchy and everyone's shouting at each other. There's tears. There's, you know, I mean, it's fueled by, yeah, you know, fueled by alcohol and, and, and just the extreme circumstances we're in. But no, 2012, I think it was, I say 2012. I'm going to go with 2012. We were booked for a festival in Bulgaria. And this was when I was dealing with all the bookings. So we didn't have an agent or a manager or anyone to kind of fall back on or kind of ring if there was a problem. And we were playing this festival in Bulgaria and it was like in the middle of nowhere in these mountains and stuff. And I just had a bad, I had a bad vibe from the start. Like the guy who I was chatting to was very, very chilled, which was kind of nice. But I was like, is this going to lead to a bit of a clusterfuck, you know? And so it was like, eventually we got the flight sorted, but they were from Stansted and obviously, well, most of the band then lived in Manchester. and so. It, I think it was the day before we had a, a Riot Jazz gig in Manchester and I'd been, like, tearing my hair out. Well, I still had a bit of hair then. And, like, we were like, what is going on? And, like, the band were like, are we doing this gig or is it happening? And I was like, I don't know. Like, yes, we've got the flights booked. Like, I've got the Ryanair tickets. But, like, how the hell are we getting to Stansted? I didn't know if the promoter was fobbing us off and just making, sh- like, making us pay for the thing down to Stansted. So I'm on the phone to him at, like, midnight. And and we're supposed to fly from Stansted at six the next morning. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And he was like, okay, well, uh, we thought we had the minibus, but we're, we're just going to book a taxi to take you down to Stansted. And I was like, from Manchester? So like, we, at 3 a.m. Well, no, yeah, it must have been 3 a.m. This, this yellow, honestly, a yellow minibus. It's like someone had gone, right, I'm going to make my minibus look like a yellow taxi. Pulled up <laughs> outside my flat. We jumped in this taxi guy is like already we're thinking what the why are we doing this he goes so why what are you doing like why are you going down to Stansted and we were like we're playing this festival and he was like okay Uh, so he drove down but we had to pick someone up on the way uh, from an M6 services and then it ended (laughs) up that he was on the wrong side of the M6 so the guy had to go like 10 miles down the road to turn to get off at the next junction come back and so then the taxi driver is like you're not going to make it you're not going to get on the flight you're not going to make it and I'm like, yeah, all right, I don't we don't need. I don't need you to say this. I know that this is a problem. This is like 5 a.m. or something. Flight leaves at 6.
0: Oh, God. We get
1: down to the airport. Sun's rising. You know, it's like, oh, God, it's like the sun is like this omen of once I'm up in the sky, you're fucked. And so, like, <laughs> we get to Stansted. One of the tickets, like, one of the tickets I've printed doesn't have the barcode, so oh, they have to no. go to, like, the ticket. And it's like, this is never going to happen. Somehow we got on the, on the flight, we got out there, we ended up staying in like these locals' houses. It was like, you turned up and they were like, right, you're staying here. And it was just this Bulgarian family who didn't really speak any English. And we were like, what, what the right, hell? What? The guy's what? like, the guy suddenly takes us into his garden. He's got like this huge, you know, like when you see pictures of death and he's got like a big scythe, like a big like oh. fork thing. He's like, I got this and I, uh, I cut my, and, and we were like, Oh my god, we're going to wake up in pieces! Like, but like they were lovely. Like it was, it was lovely. But at the same time, this this daunting thing was: how the hell are we getting back to the airport because they hadn't booked us a transfer? And every time I saw the the guy who booked us, I was like, have have we got a transfer sorted? Because I think we were there for two days, and then it was like again up at three a.m. to get back to the UK. And I was like, have we got transfers? And he was like, I think at this stage he was off his face, and he was like, yeah, man, it's all gonna be fine. It was like one of those kind of. Awesome festivals, and I would have loved it if I hadn't been kind of in charge and like trying to book everything. So we played the gig, and then I think that was the night before we left, and we sat around a campfire. And this old dude, it was like a, it was like a combination of Brits abroad and uh, locals. And there was this local <laughs> Bulgarian guy, like oh. looked like Fagin from um, Fiddler on the Roof, like big beard and everything. And he's chatting to us around this campfire. And he just brings out this big machete and starts talking about it and stuff. And and I'm for some reason I'm the guy he's chatting to. So I'm having this conversation with him. And then realized realized slowly everyone's just moving away. Like all the right <laughs> guys are just like leaving. And there's just me and him with this campfire. And I was like, This is it. Like
0: <laughs>
1: this is the end of my life. And I managed to get away and the transfer was fine. And it all worked out fine. But like that was probably my worst. Experience because I just felt like uncertainty. Yeah, well, yeah, and at just every turn, I felt like maybe I've watched too many horror films. But at every turn, I was like, all the all the signs are telling me this is wrong. (laughs) uh uh, But it was great, and like I look back at the pictures I've got from that trip, and you wouldn't know that happened because it was like epic mountains and like really cool gig and like really really good vibe. But like, I yeah, it wasn't a good, good vibe.
0: Yeah, I mean, but I, I wouldn't
1: change. I wouldn't change it for the world. Like stories like that, and like things like that, are just are just brilliant. You know, I just I love. Well, those it's, it's part of it's.
0: It's the part of part of the experience. Well, it's just part of the uh, the process. I'd say of just yeah. sort of no no. The, literally, everybody has a story like that where something's happened, and it's just oh god, this is just fucking so grim. But at the same yeah. time. Then it then it also makes you appreciate the better things, you know, the the, the good times. You're like, wow, this is fucking great.
1: Definitely, absolutely, um, yeah. And you've got to take it like that. I mean, it's like life is like that, isn't it? And and being a, a gigging musician is just the same. I mean, like someone like Diplo will have had the same sort of situations and the same experiences, and and like you say, it really does make when when we turn up somewhere and everything's sorted and we're really well looked after. Um, Russia being a good example of that, it just, it's like, yeah, I'll take the shit situations because this is incredible and, and I feel so lucky.
0: I want to finish uh, our conversation on over lockdown and even recently you've been doing a lot of TV appearances with uh, Kaleidoscope. H- how does this all come together? I mean, do do you edit this yourself? Because like the whole thing, the whole... The whole thing behind it just seems like there's a lot going on.
1: Yeah, so the lockdown sessions, I, I sort of did because, yeah, I mean, I guess there was a bit of an existential crisis as there is for all musicians at the moment. Like, is like, okay, what's going to happen? And so we just decided to, to try and do something remotely because we'd always talked about it anyway, like getting an orchestra together, you know, everyone on, on the same day being available is, is kind of a nightmare. So we were like, oh, let's try this thing. And I very quickly realized that, you know, it's very different getting an orchestra together and recording with, I don't know, 12 mics than it is to get 44, um, 44, um, mixes, you know, like WAV files or whatever, and 44 videos, and then putting all those together. And so it was a, a big undertaking, but like, I realized we had a lot more creative kind of control because, you know, if you've got each violinist on a separate channel, you've got the control in the mix to make it sound different you know more control than we've had when we're all together and so so yeah we i don't know like i kind of just jumped on this um you know this is going to be how i spend lockdown i i I loved it being my kind of purpose and so that's how we did the different things but it was the first the first one that got kind of picked up was uh, we kind of timed it right kind of accidentally really but we released our lockdown session i think it was set you free the entrance track on the day that lockdown was like official like the day that boris like said you must stay at home like we we posted this video and and got a call from bbc breakfast that night saying oh can we can you come on tomorrow morning and i was like um yeah brilliant this is exactly what we want we want to show and they, they kind of tried to push it of like, oh, poor, poor musicians. And I was like, yeah, but also look, we can still create like, like you doing this podcast. Like we're all, we're we're not just going to sit there and be like, I can't do the thing that I do. I can't DJ, I can't drum. It's like, right, well, let's create something else. And I think I, I tried very hard to turn that, um, breakfast kind of interview around to be like, yeah, it's kind of shit, but look at this. This is cool. And I think that, that, in itself, you know, not only having the kind of publicity on something kind of high profile, but that kind of spurred me on to just carry on, and that's why, you know, now we're in October. I can't believe that was back in April, but I've just kind of, like I say, made that my kind of mission at the moment is to carry on doing these sessions, and it's been up and down, like we haven't done one for a while because I kind of burnt out. I was a bit like, oh my God, I can't keep up this this process of like writing the arrangement, getting the parts out, you know, getting the stuff back editing mixing it was kind of brutal and and I thought about outsourcing but again like I say it kind of it's kind of kept me going and given me the drive to to not kind of sack it off I mean I'm not to get you know downer but like I'm so worried as to how many musicians are gonna stop being musicians you know well I this think... is
0: what I was gonna this is what I was gonna sort of say it's the, mm. the 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 state of play right now for musicians and the like is just it's it's i'm finding it difficult to put it into words
1: Mm. yeah i mean i you know it, it sucks but i know that it would suck harder if i was if it was 2010 when i was in that period of like going to dubstep nights doing my degree all these things that have kind of made me who i am now if i wouldn't have been able to like the people who are at uni now who are like having to sit in their flats and stuff like that and if that was me i don't I don't know. I'd probably just sack it off then and there, and wouldn't have been able to start a career. And I think that's the real concern. Is like, yeah, I've got my friends and colleagues who who are struggling, but I think you know I, a lot of the people I work with and a lot of my friends, I think they've got the kind of confidence and resilience to stick at it and 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 kind of stay positive. But people who are early in the career or not even started the career because they're still in education, it's like. This is like almost saying oh this industry is dead so there's no point in me even starting it you know and yeah it's, it's i don't know it's really unsettling and you know i i I don't have any answers you know like i can't tell anyone that something's going to be good but i really do think that you know i suppose when there's a vaccine live music's going to like be even bigger than it was people the demand for it oh, the you know i mean going I back to he- Go on, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm just, just gonna say, I think, I think people are gonna appreciate live music, and even, even as, even as sort of, even, even night nightclubs, clubbing, everything, the whole, anything to do with appreciating music, whether it's live festivals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I think it's gonna be a whole new wave of just absolute appreciation for it when, when it can eventually return.
1: Absolutely, and I, and I think that's gonna be the time my hope is that's the time when artists will start thinking bigger and something like Kaleidoscope can become part of Calvin Harris's live show.
0: Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes.
1: No, but I do, I do think that, that there is light at the end of the tunnel and I, I kind of, I don't know, I, I guess my, I, I, I want musicians, you know, the people I know to to hang on in there and, and know that things are going to be better because because it's, it can't, you know, I just know, like, I've just got a feeling that, it you know, it won't just disappear. The live music scene and all that. Clubs and things, yes, venues might might kind of struggle because of overhead costs and, st- you know, rent and things like that. But I know there's going to be a, a time where we'll look back and be like, we're back at it and we're, you know, we're doing what we love again.
0: Steve, thank you very much for your time.
1: Huh? my pleasure mate it's uh it's gone flown by i can't believe we've been chatting for so long
0: that was a lot of fun cheers